Turn with me in your Bibles to Paul's second letter to Timothy. Our text today is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray and ask God for His blessing on our study this morning. Would you pray with me? Blessed are you, Lord of all creation. You spoke in the beginning, and all things came to be. You spoke, and your word came to live with us, full of grace and truth. Bless this place where we would now hear your voice. Bless this place where we would hear your story. As we listen, may our ears be tuned to your voice. As the word is spoken, may you speak to us by your spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, fifth grade and below, come up and join me. Good to see you. Come on up. There you go. Find a spot. All right, now I really hope that none of you ever need to have surgery. But if you had to have surgery, who would you rather have do it? Would you want a talented doctor who'd spent years in medical school, gotten his degree, been further trained under experienced doctors, and now had been doing that very surgery that you need for 15 years and he comes to you with great recommendations. Or would you rather watch a YouTube video about your problem and just try to take care of it yourself? You know, like, you know, get in there and dig around and get that appendix out. Do you want to just figure it out as you go? Which one would you rather? Do you want the doctor or do you want to do your own surgery? You want the doctor, smart kids. Well, of course, yeah, we want the doctor who's gone through that whole process of training and examination, who's who's been approved and who's recommended by a trusted organization. We want somebody to take care of us who actually knows what they're doing, right? Who's, Who's really skilled and gifted because when it comes to surgery, I can't trust myself to do that. Now, we hear something kind of similar in the passage that we just read. Paul is writing to a young but well-trained pastor named Timothy. And Paul encourages him to keep preaching God's Word to God's people because they need someone who is skilled, who is gifted by God to, to handle God's Word faithfully. Who, somebody who's going to speak the truth to people, even when that truth isn't very comfortable. But 
as Paul is speaking to Timothy, Paul is also kind of saying something to you and me. Paul is encouraging us to receive God's word from the pastors that he has provided for us. They are like those trained and trusted doctors doing surgery because using God's word is the only thing that can put right our sin-broken and twisted hearts. God's word does surgery on our souls and and like we said, doing surgery on myself isn't something that I'm very good at. Now, that does not mean that you have to automatically believe everything that some pastor says to you. We, we have to always compare what we're hearing to God's Word to see if it's really true. And, and this doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit only helps pastors understand God's Word. You have the Spirit, too. But providing pastors to preach God's word to God's people was God's own idea. And even in our churches, there was a long process of examination in place to help God's people recognize the pastors that God is providing for each local church. But all this to say, guys, it's really important that you learn how to receive God's word from the pastors that God has provided for you. Listen Listen to what we're saying and and think about these things. Talk to your parents about what you're hearing and and try to believe and do the things that that we're telling you God says are good. Now, to help you, if you go in the back corner of the church, some of you might already have these. There are those clipboards with pens and crayons and stuff. Those Those papers can actually help you take some notes and remember the things that you're hearing. But just like... Doctors take care of people. God provides pastors and teachers of his word to take care of us. Sometimes doctors and pastors both have to do and say hard things to us, but they're doing them for our good. And because our God himself is doing his own good work in us through them, through those pastors, that's another reason why we call that good news. Do you believe it? All right. Thanks, guys. You can go back to your seat. So already you can open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Sam said our text this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 1, and really that first paragraph there. You'll remember that last Sunday we looked at the, fir- or the last paragraph of chapter 3, and so uh, we were looking at uh, 2 Timothy 3, uh, the end there, verses 14 through 17, last Sunday. And you'll remember that in those verses, at the end of chapter 3, Paul reminded Timothy that it was the Scriptures that had first made him wise unto salvation, and it is the Scriptures that are now helping him grow up in that salvation by teaching, reproof, correcting, and training in righteousness. And it is in light of that usefulness, and it is in light of that power, as we saw it described in Peter, that, that, that power of the gospel for the salvation of those who believe it is in, in light of that, that Paul now uh, directs an exhortation to Timothy. Understanding that the scriptures are useful to make us wise for salvation and for growth in salvation, Paul charges Timothy to preach the word, to, to preach this word of God to 
the people of God. Look again at Paul's charge there in the first part of chapter 4. He, he begins, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. That phrase uh, emphasizes the solemnity of the charge that, that Paul is giving here. It reminds me of, a, of, of being placed under oath. You are being reminded that you, you are now in the presence of God. You stand before the maker of heaven and earth. Timothy's obligation to preach the word is not to Paul. Yes, Paul is his father in the face. Yes, it seems that, that Paul was there and involved in Timothy's ordination. He even mentored him in the ministry. But Timothy's obligation is not primarily or, or first to Paul, but rather Timothy's obligation is to God. It is God who has called him to this work. And now it is in the presence of God and Christ Jesus that Paul charges Timothy to do the work to which he has been called. And he reminds him that the one before whom he stands, the one who has called him to this work, is the judge of the living and the dead. That's something that we uh, confess when we use the, the words of the Apostles' Creed on the, the, the first Sunday of the month when we take the Lord's Supper. It's a, it's a reminder that all people uh, in all generations throughout all the world are accountable to the one true God, for He is alone the Creator. He is the one who made them, and He made them for Himself, and He is the one who is ultimately going to hold all people, living and dead, accountable for the lives that they have lived in the body. And that day is coming. It's why uh, Paul reminds Timothy of his, uh, his appearing and of his kingdom. He is coming one day to execute that judgment and to establish His kingdom on earth. We don't know when that day will come, but it will come. And think what that reveals to us about the, the character of this God before whom Timothy stands. This idea that he is the judge of the, the living and the dead, made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. It, it reminds us that, yes, he is the Holy One. He is the one who can by no means clear the guilty. We are reminded of that again and again and again throughout the scriptures. The one true God is a righteous God. He is a holy God. He is a God of light who, who cannot tolerate or ignore or, or just pass over sin. He can by no means clear the guilty, but he is at the same time a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And how can those two truths be held together? They are held together in the person of Jesus Christ. His word become flesh. For in Christ we see the righteousness of God on full display as God deals righteously with our sins. He deals righteously with our guilt. And at the same time extends to us the mercy that we need if we are to be reconciled to him. And so Paul reminds Timothy that he stands before the God who is holy and righteous and merciful and gracious. And this is why it is incumbent upon Timothy to, to preach the word. He is responsible to this God. He has been called by this God. He now serves this God. And it is through Timothy's work that this God is pouring out His grace upon 
the world. The preaching of the word is the means by which the power of God for salvation goes to the ends of the earth. Just think of the way that, that Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter 10, speaking about the fact that, that someone must go and preach the gospel if people are to hear the gospel, if they are to believe the gospel, if they are to be saved by the gospel. Timothy is one of those whom God has called to that work. And now he must do the work that has been given to him by the God who has called him. God has called him to preach the word because he wants the power of his salvation to go to all. Scripture tells us he does not delight in the destruction of the wicked. He does not want any to perish, but he wants all to hear the good news and Believe. This is, this is why Paul's charge to Timothy is so urgent. Notice again what he says. He says that, that Timothy must be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. He, he must be ready at, at all times. That's just a, a way to say that, that Timothy must be ready to preach the word when it's convenient, when it's expected, when he's, when he's on the, the speaking schedule. And he must be ready to preach the word when it is less expected, when it is less desired. He must be ready to preach the word at every opportunity. Why? Because people are prone to to reject sound teaching. And if Timothy always waits for an invitation, that invitation might not be forthcoming. He needs to be ready to preach the word. That is his task before God, and it is not incumbent upon the people. He is to preach the word, especially to those who would rather accumulate to themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. You know how that works. We, we, we see this on full display in our culture today, do we not? People uh, enjoy living in echo chambers. They, they enjoy living in where they're only going to hear what they want to hear, where, where they're going to hear things that, that validate their own personal choices and their own, uh, uh, their own ideas about the world and about, about God. But, but Paul is telling Timothy, no, you must be ready to preach the word even uh, when people are not prone to listen. People are prone to reject sound teaching. People are prone to gather to themselves the teachers who will tickle their ears. And because of that, for that very reason, it is vital that God's chosen instruments preach the word faithfully. Not only when people want to hear it, but especially when they don't. God's chosen instruments must be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. So what does that mean exactly? What is this preaching that Paul is talking about? What does it mean to preach the Word? Well, I think if, if you had to answer that question out loud, most of you would, would think of what's going on right now. You would, you would think of sitting with God's people on Sunday morning, listening to the Word preached from the pulpit. That's, that's how we think of the preaching of the Word in our context today. And, and certainly, that is preaching. This is the preaching of God's Word. But we need to understand that preaching fundamentally, at its, at its essence, preaching is the heralding of good news. That's, that's what it is. To, to be a preacher is to be a herald. It is to be one who proclaims. One who proclaims as true the good news of God, the the good news of what what God has done uh, to reconcile sinners to himself, to, to, to reconcile all things to Christ. 
The good news of, of God's work of redemption throughout all of history, that being proclaimed is the heart of preaching. It is the, the heart of proclamation. One of my professors used to say that, that, that preaching is proclaiming what is true and what to do. What is true about what God has done in the world to save sinners and how we are to respond. And so when we proclaim the word, we are, in essence, preaching. Not only when we stand in the pulpit and proclaim it to the, the gathered people of God, but any time that we are proclaiming the truth of who God is and what God has done, we are fulfilling this obligation. We are fulfilling this charge. We are preaching the word. And this takes place, as I said, in the pulpit, but it takes place many other places as well. When we visit the sick, when we visit those who are, who are in the hospital, we bring the good news of, of their hope. That, that yes, their, their outer nature is wasting away, but the inner man is being renewed and one day will be reclothed with a body that will never fail. When we proclaim that good news to those who, who are sick, it is not a, a sermon as we think of it on Sunday morning. But it is a proclamation of the good news. When we counsel those who are struggling, whether they're, they're struggling in their work uh, to be content, or whether they're struggling in their, their marriage, or maybe they're, they're struggling with, with a neighbor, or maybe they're struggling with one of their kids. When we, when we counsel those who are struggling, we come alongside them with the good news of the gospel. And we, we seek to call them uh, to, to live faithfully in that hard place. For however long God keeps them there, we are preaching the word. When we are discipling those who are young to, uh, to understand more and more what it means, even as Sam was doing with the kids, trying to exhort them that, hey, you even now need to be developing the skills to listen well to the word of God preached because this, this is the pure spiritual milk by which you are going to grow up. Charging the, the young people to, to listen and to listen carefully to the word. When we disciple them with the gospel, we are, we are preaching the word. And not just the, the, the physically young, but those who are new in their faith. If you have someone, if you are walking alongside someone who, is, who has recently come to faith, even if they are mature in, in years, yet young in the faith, you, are, you have the opportunity to preach the word, to, to bring to them the gospel. And you seek to bring a word of encouragement to those who are exhausted, to those who have, who have been pressing hard for a long time. And you seek to bring to them the, that word of refreshment, that word of an encouragement that they so desperately need from the, from the good news of who God is for them in Christ and the power of the Spirit that is now at work in them who believe. It's preaching the word. When you come to a sinner who is wandering, and you call them to repentance. You call them back to a life worthy of the gospel that they profess to believe. It is preaching the word. All of these are proclamation. When we proclaim the good news of what God has done, and when we call people to respond in faith and love, we are fulfilling this command. This is what Paul is calling Timothy to do. Preach the word. Yes, preach the word in the pulpit. Preach the word when the people of God gather on the Lord's day. But preach that word in season and out of season. Preach that word as you do the work of an evangelist among the people. As you, as you do the work that you have been called to do. As you fulfill your ministry in all its parts. Be a preacher of the word. That's Paul's 
charge to Timothy. And in that charge, every minister of the gospel, every person like me, every person like Sam, every person who's been, who's been called to be a minister of this gospel, they have their job description. This is what we are called to. This is the heart of what the pastor does. Whatever else my job requires, whatever else Sam's job requires and the logistics of the church, this is the heart of what we do. This is our first responsibility. Before God and before Christ, we are to preach the word. And we could sit there for a while, but this morning, in the time we have left, I, I want us to consider the other side of this coin. In the time we have left this morning, I want us to consider the implications of this charge, not for ministers, but for the members of Timothy's flock, and the, the members, by extension, of every uh, flock of Christ's church. What does Paul's charge to Timothy mean for you as you sit in the pew? I want to suggest to you that if, if Paul's charge to Timothy is to preach the word, then it is clearly implied that every member is charged to receive the word preached. That's the charge to you. Receive the word preached preached. We've already seen that, that Paul says that a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Now, now don't misunderstand the, the, the phrase that, that Paul uses there. When he, when he says that the time is coming, he does not mean that, that right now in the present, in the first century, when Paul is writing this letter, everybody listens to the word. Everybody's willing to listen, but the time is coming when that's going to change. That's, that's not the way he's using the phrase. Rather, Paul is, is telling Timothy that he must be committed to preaching the word in season and out of season because in the course of his ministry, he is going to discover inevitably uh, that there are those who will not endure his teaching. He says, you need to be ready now. You need to prepare yourself now because you're going to discover that, that not everyone's going to listen and if you are waiting for their approval, for their permission, uh, then you will be negligent in your uh, duties. It's, it's the way fathers speak to sons all the time. We, we tell our sons to be prepared to do the right thing because we recognize that they're going to discover sooner or later, probably sooner rather than later, that doing the right thing doesn't always make their life easier. It doesn't always make their life comfortable. It often invites hardship. It often brings challenges. And, and we raise our, our children to, to do the right thing, to follow Christ even when it's hard because we know the day is coming when they will discover the hardships associated with following Christ. That's what Paul is doing here. He's telling Timothy, be ready because the day is coming when you are going to discover that preaching the word is not always well received. And the implication then is that, that the flock must learn not only to endure sound teaching, but to receive it with thanksgiving, to, to receive it as the words of health. That's what this language of sound teaching means. Sound teaching is the teaching that brings health to God's people. And it's the, it is the, the teaching that, that grows us up towards healthy maturity. And Paul's charge to Timothy clearly implies that the people of God must prepare themselves to receive the teaching that God has prepared for them. So what does this, what does this mean? What does it mean to receive sound teaching with, with humble thanksgiving? 
Well, it doesn't mean, as Sam said to the kids, it doesn't mean that the Christians are to uncritically receive the words of anyone who claims to be a teacher. The New Testament is is well aware that there are false teachers. In fact, even in this text, Paul speaks about those who will tell the people what their itching ears want to to hear. That that implication is is clearly there, and it's, it's there throughout the Scriptures. There are false teachers. Christians need to be aware. It's why we are commanded in the Scriptures to test the spirits. We're not to, to quench the Spirit, but we are to test the spirits. We are to, to put to the test, and, and the Bereans are maybe the most classic example of that. They, they hear Paul's proclamation, and they go to the Scriptures to see if the things that he is saying are actually true. We, we, we hear the preaching of the Word alongside the Word written, and we, we see that it is whether these things are true. The pastor is there to help you understand the word. But, but again, I, I can think of my professor saying that, that your, your people, when, when they hear you preach the word, they ought to say, oh, yeah, I see it now. Not, oh, I never would have seen that if you hadn't told me that's what it meant. <laughs> you know, it, we're, we're not trying to reveal secrets that are, that are, that are not there. We're, we're not trying to import our agenda into the word. We're trying to unfold the word before the people so that they can see it and so that they can understand it. And so again, that the call is not to uncritically receive the words of anyone who claims to be a preacher, but rather to receive the preaching of the word of those faithful men whom God has given to his church for exactly that work. Again, it's why our, our practice of ordination is so important. In our church, no one uh, can simply declare themselves to be a preacher. You have to get permission to, to preach in our churches, and that's a good thing. It may seem heavy-handed to some. They're like, oh, no, you're, you're quenching the Spirit. No, no, we are being faithful. We, we test the men whom we will allow to, to preach. I had to go through that process. Sam had to go through that process. Our, even our elders go through a, a form of that process here at this church. There is a, a process for receiving ordination. No one can simply declare, well, I'm, I'm a preacher, <laughs> But rather the church sets apart those whom they recognize to be preachers. The the church sets apart those whom they recognize that God has given to the church to do this work. Those men whom God has gifted to do this work. And that process of the church recognizing those whom has preached, it is is essential because it, it gives the congregation the confidence to receive the words of the man who preaches. But of course, the church is not infallible. Sometimes uh, the, the church can be fooled. Sometimes the church can ordain men who are not faithful. But even there, our process helps us. Because the church can, can, can watch, they can keep track. It, it doesn't just ordain and then set free. It, it ordains and then it keeps record of. It, it follows after. It, it, it monitors And if a man proves himself to be unfaithful, either in word or in deed, he can be removed from the ministry. And again, that is a sober thing, but is a thing that blesses the church. Because the church as a whole, not any one individual, but the church as a whole, guards the pulpit, guards uh, the the office of, of preacher. So the church can receive with, with humility and thanksgiving the words of those whom are given to it to preach the word. And so when 
when we do, when the, the word is, is preached, we receive it. We, we receive it as the word of God. And when we do so, we receive the power of God's word to transform, to renew our minds and to, and to transform our lives. The, the word works in the lives of God's people when and as it is preached by those whom God has given to his church to do that work. Now again, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not suggesting that the word only works when it is preached. There is, there is a place, of course, for your, your private reading of the scriptures. But throughout the history of the church, it has been recognized that the primary way that the people benefit from the word is through the preaching of the Word. As they sit under the preaching of the Word, the, the modern church in the West, with, with all of its individualism, tends to, to get this backwards. They, they, they tend to emphasize the, the private reading of the Word and, and take the preaching of the Word if you can get it. But throughout church history, it has been the other way around. And I would suggest to you that, that Paul's charge here to Timothy suggests that the, the church throughout history had it right. It is through the preaching of the word that the people of God are fed. It is through the preaching of the word that the word does its work in the life of the church. Not exclusively, but primarily the preaching of the word is the way that the grace of the word is poured into the lives of God's people. So this raises important questions. If it is through the preaching of the word that, that God's word works in the lives of his church, how then are you to attend properly to the preaching of the Word? I think we can answer that question just uh, by, by thinking through the, the process of what it, how, do you, how do you come to sit under the Word? If you're going to sit under the Word preached, you, you, you have to prepare to be there. Then you have to listen, and then you have to do something with it. And so let's, let's think about that. How do you prepare yourself to hear the Word preached? Well, of course, there are physical preparations to, to hearing the word preached, especially if you're thinking about the word preached on a, on a Sunday morning. If you're going to be here, you have to prepare to, to be here. You have to control your schedule to make sure that, that, that you can gather with God's people on the, the Lord's Day. There may be occasions why you can't be here. There may be reasons why you're not here every Sunday, but you should not neglect the gathering together, as the author of Hebrews say. It should be your regular habit. You should, you should control your schedule so that you can be here. And you should be here in a, fate sit to, in a state fit to listen, uh, uh, trying to, to get enough sleep. Again, life doesn't always cooperate. Last Sunday, even before I was here to preach the Word, I was awoken at 2 o'clock in the morning. I was tired last Sunday. I apologize if I was incoherent. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, sometimes life conspires against you. Sometimes you don't control all the details of your life, but as, as best you can, you come prepared to, to hear. But, of course, such physical preparations are secondary to the spiritual preparations. It is the, the spiritual preparation to hear the word that is, that is primary. And how do we do that? Well, just think of our confession of faith this morning. It is through prayer. It is in prayer that we ask God to prepare us to hear the word preached. Think of Jesus saying, often repeated, let those who have ears to hear, hear. Well, who gives us those ears to hear? It is God himself. Lord God, as we gather together, give us ears to hear your word. We, we pray before the word is 
is read, before the word is, is preached. We, we pray that God would do his work. But may you be praying even before you get here, Father God, prepare my heart to receive your word even this morning. May you do your work through your word even this morning. May you open my mind to be able to understand it. May you open my heart to, to love it and to receive it as the good news that it is. And may you give me the faith to submit to it and to seek to bring forth its fruit in my life. This is how we prepare ourselves to hear the word. It is a spiritual thing. It is a, a prayer-filled thing. Prepare me, Father, to hear the word. But of course, not only must we prepare, but, but once the word is actually preached, we, we must know how to sit under it. And here we can say simply that to, to sit under the preaching of the word properly is to, is to receive it as it is, as the very word of God. This was Paul's thanksgiving for the Thessalonians, that you received the, my words not as the mere words of men, but as the very words of God. Now obviously I do not speak with apostolic authority. I do not speak with the authority of the apostle Paul. But the word I proclaim has his authority. And so you receive the word preached as the living word of God. You receive it with faith, ready to believe what it charges you to believe. You, you receive it with love, not as a, as a burden, but as the words of life. Even when you don't understand it, even when you're confused. I think of the disciples in, in John chapter 6, and Jesus says, do you want to leave too? And he's like, well, where else could we go? You have the words of life. We, we don't quite understand yet. We, we don't quite see the big picture. We're, we're really confused. But these are the words of life. Receive them with love. Receive them as the, the treasure that they are. More precious than silver, sweeter than, than honey. And receive them with the meekness that is required to humbly submit your life to the exhortation of the word. And so we receive the word with faith and, and love and, and meekness. We, we hear it preached. Yes, we, we hear it examining what we hear, testing what we hear, testing the spirits even as we're commanded to do. But we receive the word preached with faith, love, and, and meekness. But of course it doesn't stop with the hearing of the word. We must then seek to cultivate its benefits in our lives. What do we do after we have heard the word preached? Well, Paul tells us in Colossians that the goal is for it to dwell in us richly, to, to fill us up, to, to, to shape our thinking and our, and our living, to, to color everything that we do, that we might do everything to the glory of our King. But, but how do we do that? How do we, how do we let this word fill us up? How do we, we let it shape us? Well, one way is to, is to meditate on it. Think of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who meditates upon God's word day and night. To, to meditate is to think about, to ruminate, to actually to mutter. That's what the, the word means in the, the Hebrew. It's the, it's the saying over and over and over again as you, as you think about it, as you meditate upon it, as you, as you ruminate on it, as you, as you think about it, process it. Whatever word you want to use, you're, you're, you're processing what you've heard so that you might understand it and, and might understand its implications for your life. And meditation is, is essentially a private thing, but it, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with our own meditations, but we, our catechism says we must also confer of it. That is, talk about it uh, with your faith family. This is what we try to do in our, our Sunday night small groups. 
In our Sunday night small groups, we gather to confer about the sermon. We, we gather to have conversation about what we have heard. We, we try not to add new teaching, but, but rather to unpack and explore the teaching that we have already received. And so we meditate upon it, and we, and we discuss it with our friends and in fellowship with fellow believers, and because Because the other believers can help us to understand what we heard. There are some who will see something that we don't. And we'll see something that they don't. And and we will will wrestle together towards a clearer understanding of what the text means and, and its implications for our lives. Often, in my small group... I will hear people draw out implications and applications that I didn't even think of when I was writing the sermon. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing as they apply the word to to the particulars of of their situation, as they think through how to live this text out in the context of our daily lives. And so we meditate upon it ourselves in private, but then we talk about it with our our friends. And we, we think through how to live it. And then our catechism says we hide it in our hearts. And again, that's a, a phrase we don't use a lot anymore. But it's a, it's a vital idea. What does that mean to hide it in your hearts? It means that you are planning to remember. How often have you, have you had this, have you heard a great insight in, in something that someone has said or, or a book and, and you think, man, that's, that's significant, that's profound, and then you can't remember it on Monday. <laughs> we must take steps to intentionally remember what we've heard. It's a, it's a process. It takes work to remember. It takes work to hide it in our hearts. That's why we often have a question in, our, in the, the, the small group discussion guide about, okay, what, what can we do to help each other remember this? <laughs> How can we help each other to, to, to be more faithful in living this out? But you take steps to hide it in your heart so that finally you might bring forth its fruit in your life. That's the goal, that there would be a harvest, that the word would would produce a harvest. Think about Paul's prayer for the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul prays that the the Colossians might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He he wants them to be filled with the knowledge. He wants God's will, God's word to, to fill them up. He wants it to be dwelling in them richly. Why? So that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. This word is powerful. It's useful to do what? To train us in righteousness. To train us to live a life worthy of our Lord. We we see the same thing in Paul's prayer for the Philippians. He prays that their love might abound with knowledge and discernment, that they might know how a Christian ought to live. Why? So that they can actually live that way. So they might be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Our goal must be to bring forth the fruit of the word that we have received, to to live it out, to conform our lives. And yes, this is something that the word does. The word is God's power for salvation. The word is powerful and effective. But in the mystery of God's economy, the word works as we work. God works as we work. We strive to plant and to water and to cultivate even as He gives the growth. And so while we are trusting His Word to do its work, we must seek to bring forth the fruit of His Word in our lives. So this is what it means to to sit under the preaching of the Word well. It means to, to prepare yourself to hear it with prayer. 
It means to to listen with faith, love, and, and meekness as you are hearing the very Word of God proclaimed. And it means finally to to seek to cultivate the benefits of of this word in your life by meditating upon it, talking about it, hiding in your hearts, and endeavoring to bring forth its fruit in your lives. And as we do this, as we do this work of listening well to the word preached, the word will work. The word will cause us to grow up in our salvation. It will renew our minds and transform our Hearts, for it is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. And so if you would grow, if you would receive the benefits of this means of grace, then learn to listen to the word preached and learn to listen well to the word preached. For through the preaching of the word, whether in season in the pulpit or out of season in the course of your daily lives, The Word will work if you will listen and if you will receive it humbly with faith. And because God has given us a Word that works and because God has given us ministers to to pour that Word into our lives, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank You for Your grace, the grace of Your Word, Father. You have given us the words of life. Give us now the grace to receive them that we might live and that we might grow up in our salvation to the praise of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.